Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Oh, welcome to it. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. It's Monday. And so alongside me is Troy. I picked up, and this is the album of the day. Was it licensed to ill? Uh-huh. Yeah, picked that up on vinyl. And I didn't realize how much, like, I would immediately hear that was sampled from classic rock I love. Yeah. Like, the beginning of that song, the first song of the album, Rhyming and Stealing, and, like, the first sound you hear are the drums from When the Levee Breaks. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's so good. And then that's a song from Sabbath, too, that they're getting the riff from. Oh, uh, Sweet Leaf? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Sweet Leaf, yeah. Wow. And then there's another song on the album um, that's like uh, uh, sampling directly Zeppelin's The Ocean. That's a good song. Oh, I love that. Love that song. And I don't know, the Beastie Boys, that album is made for wax in our sound system. Only because they talk about making wax and the lyrics. And I don't know, I was looking back at what they're all about. And for some reason I had it in my mind that's like, Early 90s. No, it was 1986. Yeah. Wow. But they had some staying power. They stuck around for a while. They did. They did. Now, you're, are you, you just said you love the Beastie Boys. I do enjoy the Beastie Boys from time it's, to time, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. And, you know, we were supposed to be talking about things here on the airwaves, like things that are important, that matter. Oh, I was going to say, otherwise, radio silence is, right. I mean, is as thoughtful as it is. Certainly, is it going to keep people listening? And as I was, as I was sitting in the morning, thinking, "What am I going to talk about tonight?" Like, I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to sit back and listen to the Beastie Boys. But we're a talk station, not a music station. I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah, you get away with it with the song of the day, mm-hmm. which I like. I like that. Yeah, I like. Well, music is my muse. Music is a uh, way I meditate. I center myself. It's a little on the nose, don't you? Think? A little bit, yeah. But uh, a little on the nose. Yeah. But no, here's where I want to uh, step back today, because I ended. Well, no, it wasn't Friday. It was Thursday show with Brittany Hunter. We got talking about, or I got talking about the Sorkin moments, and he did this in Sports Night. He did this in West Wing and Newsroom, and these moments that Sorkin would do is, look at what we can do. It's usually a character is saying exactly that. Like, this guy was told he was never going to walk again. He just won the marathon, set the world record. Look at what we can do, son. We as humans. Yes, look at what we can do. Or um guy climbs Everest and reaches the peak. It's like, look at what we can do. Would you ever do that? Everest? A, a mountain. I would do uh, a, a mountain. A, a large mountain. I would venture. You know, not, a, not something that's called a mountain, but in reality it's just a large hill. I mean, something something that's got a summit, a peak, that you get up to it, and there's... Like Kilimanjaro? 
Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, or, or the Andes. The Andes would be cool. The Andes Down would be cool. near Patagonia Way. Yeah. I don't know why I said Patagonia Way. Way. Um, I don't know if I would... I would... One thing that has interests me, because Andrew's talked about this. Andrew Parker, you know. Yeah. Uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Hmm. Start south, go north. Right. And go as far as you can. And apparently... You have to prepare, of course. You have to get in the right mindset, have the right gear, especially if it gets wet. But there are stops along the way. There are, like, little lodges. You can go into town and get more supplies. If you actually need a hot shower, you can. But mostly, you just live on the trail at these little lodges they have set up around it and hike. And it takes you months, apparently. Right. And something about that sounds incredibly appealing to me, um, where it's like you get rid of the other, I think, what and I'm not trying to be too much of a stoic, but, like, the external things in life, like money and fame and even, like, the relationships you have to keep up. And it'd be nice to just shut that off, have a single goal, be in your own thoughts, enjoy nature. You know, it sounds like it sounds like you're talking about a vision quest without vision the hallucinogens. Quest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, could think I, I, I need a vision quest. Yeah. I mean, shoot, you could do it with the hallucinogens. Then there might be, you know... Area man found wandering naked in the woods, <laughs> talking about different shapes of macaroni. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, Charlie Clark was found having lost his mind. He uh, he hugged a tree and he never came down. He was screaming at the clouds. <clears throat> yeah, screaming at the clouds. Um, but no, it's those moments of like the look at what we can do. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that really do fascinate me. And the one that came to mind that got me on that whole conversation was the Starman. Tesla's Starman. Yeah. That was remarkable. And I love the sense of humor, too. I, I It's hard not to get a little emotional if you yeah. if you really believe in sort of the, the whole Star Trek kind of the next frontier kind of thing. But watching those two side rockets from the Falcon Heavy land simultaneously was one of the coolest things I have ever seen. And, I mean, just to wrap it up in a nice, neat little bow, Elon does some sort of eccentric stuff, like there was a, a towel in the glove uh, compartment of the Tesla, and on the screen, on the, the display in the Tesla, it said, don't panic, all of these hearkening back to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because any traveler needs to take a towel with him. It's discussed in the book to great length, um, and and that that all that stuff's really cool. But the the synchronizing of the two side rockets as they landed was incredible. And then I held my breath, waiting for the central core rocket, the larger rocket, to land. It landed in the ocean. It it missed the barge. It might have hit the barge and destroyed the barge. They're re they're building a third barge now. Okay. And it's got a crazy name. Like, uh, I think it's called, like, this This little bit of Gravitas is literally, like, the name of the barge. I know Gravitas is in the name, but well, and it, incredible. It took, a, and that achievement by Tesla uh, took a what seemed like a little bit of a fanciful tweet or comment from the president that maybe we should privatize the International Space Station. And maybe not completely, but Tesla took what the NASA said was going to cost, you know, I think the number was $12 billion in several years, and 
Tesla like cut that in half in terms of money and years? Even more. There's a so the the big rocket that they use now is called the uh, Delta IV, hmm. um, and it costs for one time use. Uh, my my numbers could be a little off here, but it's it's like four hundred million or something like that, uh, depending on what you want to do. That's like fully loaded with whatever you're sending up right. into full payload. Yeah, yeah. There and there's different types of orbits. There's LEO. There's GEO. LEO being low Earth orbit. GEO being I don't know what it means actually, <laughs> but it's it's a little bit higher than low Earth orbit, and it costs like four hundred million one time use. Tesla can do it for $99 million. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, so maybe there is something to these private companies coming online, maybe working with a host nation. Well, the key to it was vertical integration, that economic principle. Hmm. Yeah. Tesla, rather than outsourcing uh, components, software, bolts, <laughs> screws, things like that, they originally cost like a dollar to make, but by the time it gets to the company that makes the Delta Heavy, they're like $25 a screw or a mm, bolt. Right. It's a huge markup. Tesla did vertical integration and they don't outsource. Okay. And they rearranged the factories to where communication is really simple. It's literal. Instead of sending an email like, hey, we should have a meeting about this. Okay, sure. I'll put it on the books. It's more like it's in the factory. A foreman will go talk to another foreman and be like, hey, we're having a problem with this part here. Hmm. And he'll say, okay, this is what I would do to fix it. And then they'd hash it out and it's done in a matter of hours. It's incredible, and I think what they're doing is creating a model for other private companies to come in and be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, also, Tesla, things here on Earth. SpaceX. Yes. Well, SpaceX, I mean, SpaceX is technically the company. It's all Elon. I can't believe he, ma- he makes us say space sex every time we say it. <laughs> well, and also in that Roadster, they shot off to Mars. It overshot. I think it's going to the asteroid. Belt, you're off by just a little bit. You miss a lot in space, right? Well, it's it's going to be on a billion year orbit. Oh, that's okay. that was. They're they're not trying to land it on Mars. They're trying to put it in a billion year orbit that and, goes by Mars. And what was playing? He had a, something playing on the stereo too. It was a it was David Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. Um, was it Space Oddity or was it uh, Starman? Starman. There's a Starman waiting yeah. in the sky. Oh, it's so good. It's uh, It made me so happy, but here back on Earth, Tesla, uh, or Elon Musk, let's just say, and all the multiple companies he owns. And the big thing on him for me is that he has taken a lot of government money and taken out a lot of loans for private sources, and can he deliver? He is delivering. I love the idea. In, in Most, some, mostly. Uh, these, there's a problem with the Tesla 3 and... Right. It's There's a lot more demand for it than they can make, and they're making them a little too slowly for the likes of the consumer. They're also working on another rocket that's bigger than the Falcon Heavy called right. the, the BFR. Mm, the BFR. Yeah. That sounds dirty. Well, I mean, it's. It, I, I think it kind of harkens back to the video game Doom, the oh. BFG. The big effing gun. Oh, okay, yeah. You can you could call the BFR the big effing rocket. Yeah. But it actually means something else. But I think just by way of corollary, they went with BFR. Well, what I love, too, is that essentially like 80s, 70s nerd culture has now taken over. 
like you get all these, you get a reference at Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You do get David Bowie. There's a sense of humor to what they do. I was just seeing, oh, it's that show, The Grand Tour. It's like a repurposed Top Gear mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. And Jeremy Clarkson said, I've uh, had people wanting me to review the Tesla again, but ever since I gave their Roadster a bad review, they sued me. Yeah. So he um, he said, yeah, I'm going to. It was all fake. And he essentially tried out this new Tesla. It might have been the three. It's like the SUV kind of... That's the Model X. Model X. Okay. And the sense of humor in that car... I mean, first off, it can... It beat, what, a a top-line super performance Audi in a drag race. Mm -hmm. Because it has so much get-up from 0 to 60. And the Audi almost overtook it when they started getting to 110, but the Tesla won. But on the inside, you have, like, all these little... Like, things kids would want, but we're all big, grown kids, especially men with their cars. So you can set the home, like, screen, LED screen to, like, I don't know, what is it from Star Wars? Like, light speed. You can set the mm-hmm. screen to make it look like you're going at light speed. If you pull up to a, a, a venue, some place that you want to be, before you get out of the car, you can hit celebration mode. And you get out of the car, then the car's, like, you know, wing doors will, like, fly up and, like, start flapping. Like, the headlights will start going off. It'll start playing music. It's, I mean, so many little things. Um, One was to take off, like, the traction control or something. It's like, do you want to take this off? Yes. And the no option said, no, I want my mommy. (laughs) <laughs> on the car. Like, this is hilarious. The, the ostentatiousness of the joie de vivre. Yeah. Perfect. Well, and then he's doing this, uh, he suggested Musk has a solution to traffic in Los Angeles. Yeah, the boring company. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't realize that it actually means boring as in boring a hole. Right. He's making tunnels. And they sell hats and t-shirts and flamethrowers. Well, and he said, essentially, we have a snail at the office. And if we can dig tunnels faster than the snail can move, we're going really fast for tunneling. Yeah. And the idea is that you have these essentially skates on the side of the road that you would drive your car into, like park, and the skate would sink down into the ground into one of these tunnels, and it's electronic skate, and you can move faster. Um, I mean, some of this stuff, it's like, do you think he's really going to get permission? I know he's also really interested in the Hyperloop. Yes. Yes, I love the Hyperloop. So he might sort of co-opt some of that intellectual property with the holes. Not the holes, the, the tunnels. That is true. <laughs> but I like how he's debunking, too. Somebody asked him about the flying car, and he said, well... If you really think about it, you're using more energy. You still have the same amount of frictions, but if not more in the air. Um, and also think about an urban environment. Do you really want a bunch of stuff like flying over your head that if it malfunctions, like cars are known to do today, and it, it will like kill somebody if it falls on them? Like it's just impractical in almost every sense with current cities. Right. So I just the fact that there are people out there like that. It makes me think about the phrase, look at what we can do. I'm like, yeah, we can do a lot. But I didn't have anything to do with Starman taking off in a Tesla Roadster towards Mars. I more, like, got to watch it. And, and 
sort of lived it vicariously. Right. I didn't have anything to do with that. So I don't want to take that too personally. Like, oh, we did this. Human beings did this. Like, well, no, some human beings did this. Mm -hmm. Other human beings ate too much queso dip and didn't get out of bed the next day. Both of which are rather extraordinary. (laughs) I mean, the limit of queso dip... That's a pretty high ceiling. Well, one was more in the direction of heaven. The other was more into the depths of hell. <laughs> Amongst other places. Yeah. A porcelain throne. Good Lord. Well, we have somebody on the phone who's been waiting. We had another person, but, you know, we talked too long. Yeah. Well, two seven two nine two two eight. We don't do this often. We usually just chat, chit-chat. Mm-hmm. We'll chit, we'll chat. Let's see who this is. News talk, you're on there. Hey, this is Weeks. Hey, man, what's up? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm I'm good. I'm feeling frivolous this evening. Queso and and the rocket, that's both in the direction of heaven, I would say. But um, You think constipation is in the direction of heaven? Well, I mean, you know. Drink enough water, you know. know. (laughs) If you've got the flu, you can't have too much queso. Fair enough. Um, Anyway, I was going to say, here's the question. If you're blaring... In it, uh, David Bowie in a convertible in space. Do you have to pay royalties? Technically, since it's in a vacuum, it wouldn't make a sound. The only way exactly. any human being could hear it would be if they could somehow translate the vibrations that would be in in the the frame of the vehicle where the speakers would be sending out the vibrations. I'm actually not sure even if you put your ear on the the metal if you would hear it. Um, it it may, it may, well, I, I know some of the, um, I think some of the hearing aids, they use vibration. So it's possible, you, you might be, you might be right that vibration would transfer to an ear through the bones. Um, but I, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, you know, a, a one billion year orbit of Mars, that's, that's a lot of replays. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's quite a few. And is is y'all, that a song old enough, though, to where you wouldn't have to pay royalties? Oh, no, I'm sure somebody owns it. Yeah. Which I think is ridiculous. Like, if it's David himself, okay, pay the man something. But you or didn't his, make that or song. Or his trust. Yeah, since I know. He's, since he's there used to be a 50 years, some, something about 50 years involved with, uh, if I'm correct, I think there used to be something about 50 years involved with... Um, We're not quite there yet. Copyright. With that song. Yeah, and um, uh, did you all see the landing of the rocket boosters? Yeah, that's what Troy loved the it, most. Is that not the coolest thing? It was yeah. incredible. I, mean, I saw my, it live, and Dan was talking about something with the Russia investigation. I'm sitting over here going, oh, yes! Try not to cheer yeah. too much and interrupt his show. It was it was so, so cool. My dad worked for NASA, or, or worked at NASA for three summers, and we got to go over and, and actually see one of the, um, one of the later of the... Uh, shuttle launches and man it did just awesome i just i awesome. actually saw the very last shuttle launch i was there for that mm. is yeah. is that wave of heat and energy that hits you when it, was this at cape canaveral by the way yeah that wave of heat and energy that hits you is so awe-inspiring it's, it's amazing and it and it's um the ashes in the air all over florida for weeks um or maybe not quite a whole week, but at least days. I remember you couldn't walk outside without, when you opened your eyes, you'd have ash in your eyes, and um, it was it was just just incredible. Mm. Anyway, y'all y'all keep at it. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Thanks. Yeah, it's um, 
I, I look for moments like these, like the look at what we can do moments, because they aren't always around. I think somebody asked me today, they wrote a piece of mine where I said, I don't have hope in man's politics, but I do have hope in man all the same. She, she asked me why. And I can guess your answer, but I want you to say it. It's because I am continually amazed. Now, despite people suffering and their bitching and about problems real and perceived, when it really gets down to it, people rise above the crap. And they do amazing things. Even like the guy's not that enlightened who continues to kvetch all the way down and through his troubles. How you see people like trudge through stuff. Like you could say like a battlefield in World War One. It seems like hell on earth and utter stupidity to continue to march into the trenches where thousands, if not millions, have died before. And I agree, it kind of is. I don't think we'll ever fight a war like that again. But also to see... Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But to see somebody in the midst of that hell on earth just continue to trudge through it and have faith and hope in his fellows is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And so it's that little spark of some might say the spark of the divine ingenuity that creative capacity people have to continue to endure amazes me so that's why i have hope in people now when you start getting into politics i think we're arguing over shadows we're arguing over external stuff that most of us can't control but because you have a vote every few years you have to care like okay right that's why you have to care because you have a vote every few years yeah that's apparently it your, your voice matters so cynical. I know. It is cynical on my part. You make it sound like people don't really have a choice to care or not. Well, I think they do have a choice to care, but I don't think they should fool themselves at what what gives that importance is the vote. I don't think it is. So you're postulating that from a place of cynicism. Kind of, but also a cynical about politics. Right. Like the way the political game makes people behave in ways they wouldn't otherwise. It's probably because they made it a game. But, I mean, we all... That's life. We have a bunch of games we play. Some are more important than others. But life is really, like, how good at you are all the important games in it. There's no hope there. I think there's plenty of hope. Hope Maybe in a game? Can, yeah. Wait, you're telling me you're not hopeful when you're on, like... The cusp of beating a record in some game. I, I never position it from. I never position my perspective from a place of hope or not hope. Hmm. There's no hope involved. You're just playing. There's, like, if if I become aware that say I'm going to get an achievement or I'm going to beat a really hard boss. Yeah. The awareness is there, but it's not going to change my focus. Hmm. But there's no sense of hope there because hope has no place in me doing. I'm not sure if I follow you. But, it, I mean... I mean, it's... I can't get from point A to point B on hope alone. Okay. It's well, going to take some action. I think that makes perfect sense to me. What I guess what I'm getting at is in the political games, that people, and this is what really makes them games, I think people get too wrapped up with, I'll be in the history books, or I'll do this incredible thing for all these people... Or I'll have notoriety, or I'll have more money, or I'll have, I'll have power, whatever it is. I think when you go into the political game in that way, it really does become something incredibly cynical. Then I think there are moments that get me out of my cynicism 
It's like, oh, it seems like somebody's doing something because they honestly believe it. Just those moments seem so few and far between. See, I would, I would be so cynical having to be amongst that much ego mm. day in and day out. Yeah. I, it would no longer be a fight for what I believe in. It would be a fight to scratch and claw and gnash and tear it down. Yep. That's what it would become for me, which is why I avoid politics. Well, I think that's wise of you, and I'm, I'm shifting. I'm transforming. Realizing that I was way too into politics. I'm still into it, still pay attention, but mm -hmm. not in the same way. I, I feel detached from it, like I don't have much power over it. Right. And it's like, okay, I realize I don't have that much power over it, then I can focus on what I do have power over, and then the political stuff is almost like a, like a circus. Now, it's a very serious one. If I think about it too deeply, it affects millions of people's lives. But when you realize it's a basic concept, it goes back to the ancient Stoics, it's found in the serenity prayer, knowing what you have control over, knowing what you don't have control over. Once you know the difference, it gives you a great deal of peace of mind. And it's, it's, it's really, it boils down to the economics of effort. If you try and go into Washington and tackle that whole thing, you're going to be overwhelmed so fast, you won't even get to the National Mall. Hmm. We were talking about this earlier when we were texting about charities. Yeah. We have the choice of what charity we want to give money to and their charity. And I use Charity Navigator to determine where their money is being spent. Because Susan G. Komen has made me... Very skeptical. Skeptical, yeah. Most of it goes to administration. I think it's like 1% goes to research. Mm. It's like, it's absurd. Whereas if I can find a charity on Charity Navigator that I like and... I like where their money's going. I feel more responsible that I'm actually helping this research. Now, I'm not actually doing the research myself. Ultimately, that would be a true responsibility, but at least fiscally, in how I devote time and money to something, it, it makes it all the more rewarding, which comes from a place of selfishness, yeah. but also comes from a place of inquiry, like particular types of cancer, like a glioblastoma. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if we can figure out how to fix that, and I don't have the mental capacity to be on the front lines of fixing that, but I do have the fiscal capacity to help in some small way, or even the, I don't know, the emotional capacity to donate time and energy to something, then it sort of makes it worth it. But if you were to just approach politics as us versus them, I don't see how they get anything done. Wait, well, they they don't. don't. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm not going to go in the rant now because we got to hit a break. But the way you can, the way Rand Paul was treated last week, and I think you can disagree with Rand all you want. Fair enough. There's plenty it's, to disagree. It's fairly easy to do. Right. But uh, I thought he had a very important point. He's looking 10 years ahead. It's the one issue I really care about and I worry about. Um and uh, the way he was treated, we'll, we'll get into it. It shows kind of, well, how broken things are up there. I'd like to discuss the consistency of thought as yeah. well. Yes. Well, but first, continuing with the album of the day, Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill. This is Slow Ride. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour alongside me, Troy. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. They got a committee to get me off the block because I say my boss loud and I say 
Joey Clark. Oh. Welcome back. See, I'm making a face because that horn is nasty. It is. It's the same face I make with Prince songs. It's like really nasty face. And I, this album is one of the best to like just go online and there are great like uh, genius lyrics. Annotates. Like Beastie Boy lyrics say, oh, they got this from here. They got this from there. Like, that's a nod to this album. That's a nod to this place. And there are other folks have... There's a website that shows you any song that was sampled. Like, you can go to any Tupac, Dre, whatever. You can and pull up one of their songs and go, what did they sample for it? It's like, okay. It's a lot of fun. It's got to be crowdsourced. I can't, I can't imagine right. a group of people... Uh, it would have to be a large group of people. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of what they actually uh, sampled there, those horns and brass monkey, but it sounds, they didn't mess with it much at all. It's like the exact same sound. Hmm. They didn't really speed it up or anything. I saw it earlier today, something very obscure. But those, those dudes, oh, what a treasure. And they didn't put out too much. They keep people wanting more. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Well, one of their guys is no longer with us right. so I don't think they even make music anymore right yeah. rest, rest in, in peace. peace anyway you want to go back to the phones yeah sure okay let's talk to Sam hey Sam what's up man are you there yeah hey what's up hey so I really like the topic that um, that you had brought up where um, you know there are look at what we can do yeah and back in December my wife and I uh, spent a few days in Manhattan, and um, one one afternoon we had lunch at a little place called Francis Tavern, which is down in Lower Manhattan. You know, you always think of Lower Manhattan as being, you know, these big skyscrapers and you know these Gilded Age banks and stuff. But nestled in the middle of all that is this little tavern that dates back to the 1700s. That was founded by a guy named Samuel Francis, and he was George Washington's aide-de-camp. Wow. And at the conclusion of the Revolutionary War, George Washington met all of his officers in the long room at Francis Tavern in order to decommission them so that they could go home. And the story is that he walked in the door and poured a glass of wine and said, I would like to come to each of you and speak to you, but I do not believe that I can. But I would very much like for each of you to come to me. And one by one, these men, who had put everything on the line against the world's greatest superpower, probably most of them believing that there was a better than even chance that at the end of all of it, they would all be hanged. Um, We're standing there in this room with their general victorious. Mm. And one by one, they came to him and spoke to him directly and he cried. And, uh, which, you know, you don't think about that as, you know, George Washington, but um, they had many toasts that evening and one of the toasts that really stuck out to me was, may history honor what courage has gained. 
And I thought, man, those guys really knew some stuff. (laughs) And uh, it would not hurt for us to think many times when we look at our country that we have today and the decisions that have to be made in our country today, that it was courage that gained this. And it is our job to honor that courage. Well said. And that's all I have. I, I like appreciate that. the call, Sam. And Thanks. That toast, uh, let history honor what courage has gained. It r- reminds me of the point you made a little bit ago that you can't just have hope. That you need the other virtues in order to fulfill something and fulfill it for yourself. Right. I mean, you can sort of be that hopeful fan on the sideline yelling and screaming, and it's fun. But it's not the same thing as if you have, well, faith, and faith meaning more than just I believe in a certain set of rules, but I actually know my identity, where I came from. Like, Right. Faith back to action. Yeah. Stories like what Sam just told do suggest to Americans where we come from. But you also need, you know, I think hope, not on its own, but some hope. You need a fellow love for your human beings, sort of, I think, more friendship, solidarity. Some We've talked about right. this before. Some forms of love. I think the ancient Greeks and Romans got right can completely consume you, make you crazy and in agony for no damn good reason. But then that you pair that with courage or fortitude, however you want to call it. Um, along with prudence or being reasoned, rational, understanding and studying the world. Pair that along with a, a hearty sense of justice. Well, you can see throughout history, in fact, the prevailing schools of thought all pair with that honoring courage, so mm-hmm. to speak. But the schools of thought and how they express themselves, be it prudence or that sense of justice or nationalism or what have you. And I don't want to say they're all working towards the same goal, but in the sense that they're honoring courage, Mm. they are. But the way it it expresses itself, almost like a genetic phenotype, you know, red hair, blonde hair, that kind of thing, is interesting. How it keeps coming back up despite so-called advancements in progress. Right. So the question is, is what do we learn from all that? Mm. And not just like an encyclopedic knowledge of, of the thought, but I mean, how can we translate that into today's world? Right. And I don't mean that like historians, like left-wing historians or right-wing historians look at an event and then filter it through our current perspective. I mean, there are things that can be learned from actions in time, in history, toasts, um, things like that. And they can be applied today. But it can only go so far before we have to rely on ourselves to to do, so to speak, to advance. Well, it's like something I think Henry David Thoreau wrote about. You could have a kid who sits and reads about how to use a knife and fashion a knife all day long. And he'll know every damn thing about a knife, the encyclopedic knowledge. It's good will hunting. Yeah, but you if you've never actually used the knife... You're not going to be proficient at all. Yeah, and that line in Goodwill Hunting, that's an incredible scene where Robin Williams mm-hmm. is sitting there with Matt Damon. I can't remember the characters' names. and yeah. Well, Will is yeah. one of them. That's Matt Damon's character. But have you ever been to the Sistine Chapel? Have you ever smelled it? Right. No, but I'm sure you could tell me absolutely everything about it. You looked at my life and you destroyed it. 
Well, and that's ah. actually um, a point that Jordan Peterson has been making in his lectures, and he was arguing with, say, Sam Harris about types of knowledge. He said that we can think of the world as like a bunch of objects out there for us to name and to organize and to study, and that is very much true, and he's, Peterson says, as a clinical psychologist, and I do neuroscience, I've read a lot of the scientific literature, I believe in that approach. But there's also the approach of action, of actually behaving in the world, and that's where our current scientific traditions don't always inform us. In fact, what informs us of how to act, how to be, is our religious traditions, as well as our literary and mythology. It, those They're not asking, how is the world perfectly ordered, what's necessarily true in the objective world. They're asking, okay, given that world, how do you behave and how do you go forward in it? And that's where I think the virtues are incredibly important. That it's not something you just read about, it's something you develop over time. And the one we forgot is temperance, it's moderation. Right. That you balance all these together. If, you know, I think, especially our politics, has too much, um, too much prudence and too much love and justice. It leads us to essentially wanting a bunch of comfort and enforced charity. Right. Without considering other ways and we can we can make life better. And we might be kind of undoing the prosperity and the wonderful things we've created. But it's a a point I've made, you know, talking especially folks on the left, like my cousin Jessica, she's like, What about child labor laws? And I pointed out well we it's interesting to me that laws against child labor aren't passed in this country until essentially everybody's already stopping child labor because they're rich enough. And then there's a there's some remnants of it that get outlawed through the law. Though you can still be a child actor, for instance. And I actually would like to see some child labor laws loosened up. I mean, still be regulated, but I think children could learn a lot by being apprentices and working, as opposed to just traditional school. Right. That's where I'm coming from in that regard. In terms of apprenticeship and learning trade. Yes. Yeah, learning a, a given profession. Um, and... The larger point is that prosperity allows us to be better people. That if you have more, it's easier to give. And so you're not just looking for money for money's sake, but you're looking for more wealth because that allows you to foster your virtues better and to look out for one another. That's over time, though. Yes. The immediacy of of prosperity has a lot of inertia when it comes to charitable acts. At least I'd like to imagine. Yeah. Um, it, It certainly stands for reason. I mean, take a look at a lot of new money Chinese. These people are moving from farms. They have now have a lot of money, and they're still they're they're not adapting. Mm. They're still being informed by their old ways of life, and and it's not adapting. Like there was a woman who shut down an entire flight because she f- threw gold coins into the engine before the flight for good luck. Right, right. And from her perspective, it made total sense. Right. But from Literally everybody else that was on that plane's perspective, it was, what are you, what are you thinking here? What are you doing? Yeah, you're going to get us killed. Yeah, so they they shut down the flight. She got kicked off plane, so things like that. But it all came from a good place because that's how she was informed of how to go about things. It might have been as a result of a superstition or some sort of ancient tradition that created the superstition, but it's it's all about adapting, and then you have that new money. And you've got this inertia. You're not going to want to give 
all that new money away, especially if you spent most of your life trying to get it. Right. Well, and it, it, it's why I always go back to the work of Deirdre McCloskey. She said what made the West so rich, because you have a lot of examples in history where there's plenty of manpower and material capital and education and whatever, and yet other societies didn't become incredibly rich in the way the West has and now the rest of the world is becoming. And she said it was... If you want to explain it just in terms of innovation, it doesn't really cut it. Just in terms of we had all this capital doesn't cut it. Just in terms of knowledge doesn't really cut it. She said it was the way the West developed its ethos, its seven virtues, taking from sort of the pagan classical four cardinal virtues and then the Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love, or faith, hope, and charity. And it applied those virtues to everybody. That it wasn't reserved for the nobility, it wasn't reserved for the rich and the well-off or the intelligent. It was, in fact, everybody has this sort of divine spark to them, and they can foster these virtues in their life. And even if you don't immediately have faith in that idea, that prospect, when you just start speaking in that manner, it tends to lead to communities picking themselves up, but for lack of a better phrase, by their bootstraps. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about individuals. I mean, like individuals working in concert uh, it's amazing what people can do and it's again why i have hope in people and not necessarily politics Mm -hmm. that we get caught up in this idea that well our participation in our society is only through voting and signaling who we like and what are the right correct ideas as opposed to getting out there and helping somebody uh, directly and I don't know. I think there's there's a tension going on in the United States where there is a uh, a lot of people who think, well, I'm just going to help people directly. And yet there's this older political culture that has most of the money and the power that is holding on for dear life. And I worry that it's uh it's going to it's going on autopilot. Like I mentioned Rand Paul a little while ago. You know, he stood up and everybody Republicans and Democrats were pissed off at him because he held up a vote for this new budget deal because he said this is ridiculous it's utter hypocrisy you were the guys yelling about obama's deficits you should just as much be yelling about trump's deficits essentially and i knew as soon as i heard i heard the news headline break it was on the radio it was like they have a new deal two-year deal that'll move the debt ceiling before i heard any of the details i went i know what they did they all said, we can spend more money. You get more money, I get more money. Everybody gets more money. And it's like, guys, this is not going to be able to continue for much longer, especially if interest payments on the debt go up. That'll be the second biggest line item in the budget behind entitlements. And these are the points Rand Paul is making on the floor, saying, let's actually debate this in an open process on the frickin' Senate floor. I get so tired. Of, it's not Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's not a Frank Capra moment. It's not even a West Wing moment. It's usually when you see somebody like somebody like Rand speaking, the Senate chamber's empty. It's just him talking. And how refreshing would it be to actually see these supposed representatives go up there and talk about these issues openly on the floor in the chamber of the Senate? Can't be bothered. No. No, because everything's got to be a deal. We're going to work two and a half, three days out of the week. Everything's so complicated, it has to be streamlined like this. We can't actually have everybody allowed to debate amendments. <laughs> We'd never get anything done. Right, and maybe that's part of the point. 
But I just think there will be a day of reckoning in the long run if we continue on this path. That everybody gets more money. Politics will always fix our society's woes. And hopefully a lot of people will wake up before that day of reckoning and just start doing for them and theirs. I think it's gonna. it might, might come back to the tree of liberty. Yeah. With the blood stain. Well, let's hope not. The, there are folks out there who suggest that. Uh, Judge Napolitano, Andrew Napolitano, I saw him in Auburn uh, in person a few months ago. And he said, some of you will end up in a jail cell for saying things I have said tonight. He said, I don't want that to happen, but I fear that will happen someday. Um, and we'll see. I mean, again, back to a point I made earlier, a lot of this is out of my control. What I can fix is me and the people around me. And you can't even fix, really, the people around you. You can more offer them help or examples. Or it doesn't have to always be this, like... You can coexist in a productive fashion. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where the real um, the rubber hits the road. When you're fostering your own personal virtue, helping to see that virtue in others. And then all the other external benefits come. Like prosperity, or maybe you do have a heartfelt felt like notoriety, like he's known around town. If you're not doing it for the money's sake or the notoriety's sake, you're doing it because this is the virtue that'll make you a better person, then I think it'll change the world. And I, hopefully it'll change other places in the world. My, my dad did something, does something, and he, he taught it to me. And it's, it's sort of along those lines, but you know when you go to like Winn-Dixie and they want you to donate to charity and then they tell you to write your name yeah. on the sheet and they put it up on the wall? started writing superhero names. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah. So now I write superhero names. Different ones. Not Deadpool, of course. No, you wouldn't uh, do that. But Superman, Spider-Man. These things that have this established ethos that even if it's like some cynical person who's dying or a child who's dying and they see it, they're like, maybe Superman really did contribute some money. Yeah. to this and it provides them a little hope because they're not going to look at the name Troy on the thing and right. be like awesome good job Troy I mean I'll feel a little better about myself for being able to donate that the, the money but if they see it and they see Superman on there and it provides them some hope or something job done that's awesome and it, it also I mean it feels good to do it but it gets rid of the selfishness of me, me, me. Look what I did. Right. Well, and I'm glad you didn't say anonymous. Because you've seen that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Hmm. Ted Danson and Larry David donate a bunch of money to some museum. And there's like at a cocktail party for the new wing of the museum. And one side it says donated by Larry David. And everybody's like, yeah, great job, Larry. Uh-huh. The other side says anonymous. But everybody knows and is like whispering, do you know that Ted Danson is anonymous? And so Larry's like, wait, you can't say, you can't put it up as anonymous and tell everybody that you're anonymous. Right. That's just that's just wrong. So he gets it fixed to his side as anonymous. Then he's being chased one evening because he stole back a baseball jersey. And he's banging on the door to let me in. I bought this wing. And it says anonymous on the wing. <laughs> it's like, no, you didn't, sir. Who are you? <laughs> but yeah, it's... um. I don't know. The charity thing, I, I'm completely honest. Like, I don't feel like I have, in terms of fiscal charity, like giving money away, I don't have that much money. Oh. So I have to do it, I suppose, with my time and hopefully with these airwaves and 
get get out there and find causes that we both uh, we all believe in. So, like Hospice of Montgomery is one uh, that is very near and dear to my heart. It just came from experience. Um, there are a lot of great organizations though, and what I love about those, especially like Hospice, which is usually a very tragic setting and subject, they have fun for charity events, and you can have a great time for a good though tragic cause. Um, you know, people helping people, holy shirts and pants. Yeah, yeah, people helping people. But that's that's why when you hear about people that run charities, that just swindle. It's, mm. For me, it's the ultimate shame on you. Or it's like the reverend sleeping with parishioners. Or yeah. it's like anybody who should have, because of your title, you're held higher, and then you abuse that. Mm. Oh, that goes for public servants as well. You know, we missed a phone call. Oh, Debbie, I'm sorry. Well, we're out of time. I'm sorry, Debbie. We'll pour out some brass monkey for you. Troy, thank you. Always a pleasure. Talk to y'all tomorrow night. Joey Clark.